drivers, start your podcasts. On your mark, get set. Itch Manners. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions, hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? Wheel. Recovering? Wheel. Yeah. Got I'm a still, little sick? Still a little salty about it. Got a little sick? Uh, Teresa was unable to go on stage in Indianapolis due to illness. Uh, but she's feeling better now. Mm-hmm. Been a couple days. You've recovered. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and so do you want to tell everybody about this episode and why we're doing it? Yeah. Well, uh, because this was the show I planned for Indianapolis. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. So why let that, all of that research go to waste? Exactly. Right. We should, I wanted to just do it, uh, because I, you know, researched and stuff. So, right. so here's the thought process. I was like, I was going to be like, hello, Indianapolis. And then they would like scream and stuff. Uh-huh. And I'd be like. You want, let's try it again. Say hello, Indianapolis. Okay. Hello, Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teresa, we love you. Yeah. I hear you guys like racing cars. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah we do. <laughs> Not us. Not us specifically. <laughs> I mean, maybe one of us is a race car driver, but we do enjoy watching it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Indianapolis 500 is like a big deal. I'm, yeah, it I'm is. pretty sure. Yeah. Should I stop doing the yeah, audience? Yeah, you can stop okay. being the audience. I'll stop now. being the audience. Um, it's a pretty big deal, and cars in general. If we think about the grand scope of human existence, cars are a relatively new technology. Yeah, only they really like 15 are. 15 years old. Uh, more than that? More than that. How many? A lot, a lot. 20? Yeah. Um, mm. 30 years? The the first motor wagon um, appeared in 1893. And when I say appeared, I mean was invented. Okay, I was going to say, that's a great <laughs> way of just like, hey, did you put this in here? <laughs> no? Right, you. We should make more of these. So here's the thing, though. Way, way back... In 4000 BCE, the earliest roads in Mesopotamia probably started, right? But here's the thing. Uh A road is more just a clearing, and they really didn't start to get paved until the 1800s, right? So basically, you just needed a path clear of vegetation, uh-huh. And buildings, right? To yeah, be well, a yes. road. It's really hard uh, if you don't remove the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> a road is more like an absence yes. of things. Empty space. Empty space. Oh, oh, yes. Than it is anything else. Um, so what happens is, like, we have these clearings that people walk down and take their wagons and horses down. And, like, that's it. That's what we have. 
okay. until like the 1700s um, when two engineers from Scotland created a technique for paving using layerings of different types of stones. Um, and they actually started thinking about things like street traffic patterns and the way a road should be graded to help carts and things turn well. Okay. And, you know, a lot of the times this is something that we don't notice until it's wrong, right? Yeah. Where you are taking a curve and sometimes it feels just so hard. It feels hard to make the turn and it doesn't have to be a steep turn. But if the road isn't graded so that the inner side of the turn is a little like you know, like dug out a little more. Yeah. it's. It, it, I think, you know, I'll keep referencing back to racetracks, but if you look at a racetrack, mm-hmm. when you get to those big turns, they go up a little bit, right? So Right. The outer corner goes up and the right. inner corner goes so down. So that way as you come around, the mo- like you're, I am at, listen, I'm not an engineer. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know this, but I imagine it's to balance out the, the force of like wanting to push you up as you turn because mm-hmm. you're, that your you the force wants to keep going forward and right. you're turning. So to balance that out, you grade the road a little bit and that uh you you get it. You yeah, get what I'm yeah. Saying. And like I said, you really I'm don't... sorry if I got a little technical there with all of my science lingo. <laughs> you really don't even notice it unless it's bad. Right. Um and so this is something that was put forth in what is boasted as the first modern road in Paris, the Champs Elysees. In um, 1824. Ah, the Chantelise. Which, if you had asked me 10 minutes ago, I would have said was a river. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed. Ah, so beautiful, made of stone and or water. So, I talked about the first motor wagon in 1893. Yes. Uh, When I say that, you know, car, who do you think about? Oh, I know this because I feel like we've talked about it before. We did an episode where we talked about like inside the car politeness, like mm-hmm. when you're on a road mm-hmm. trip. And I know I'm supposed to say Ford, Henry Ford, but I know that that's not the first one. Oh my gosh. What a smarty pants you yes, are. I know the Ford was just the first mass I was, produced. I was trying to trick you. I know. And Ford you is the first mass that. produced because of the assembly line. Right. But. Charles and Frank's Charles and Frank Duria, I believe it is pronounced, um, invented the first motor vehicle in 1893, but they only made 13 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably why the whole company failed. Right. <laughs> Listen, I'm no business expert. I don't know if you all know this, but you need at least 14 of any product to succeed. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll keep that in mind. Yes. Um, needless to say, though, yes, the invention of the Model T Ford in 1908 uh, was much better marketed and made on a mass scale. Um, but here's the thing, though. You have these cars, which are suddenly the, the weight distribution is a lot different mm-hmm. from a horse or a horse-drawn cart. Um, the wheel manufacturer is a lot different to support the weight have you ever seen a horse draw a cart they have really a hard time filling it in and staying inside the lines oh man get it because it's like drawing mm -hmm. okay i'm a dad 
So people, <laughs> yes, yes, you are. People in the U.S. suddenly were like, hey. Oh, wait, I, can, I have a better punchline. Okay, right. okay, have you ever seen a horse draw a cart? They have a really hold time, hard time holding the pencil. That's ah, a that's a better one. That's yeah. a good one. Okay. Um, they wanted roads. They wanted better roads. Yeah. And the slogan really was, get the farmers out of the mud. Huh. Okay. Because the roads weren't paved. Oh, I see. That wasn't, okay, so that's not like a slight against farmers. Right. We're saying like, hey, farmers are trying to drive mm -hmm. to town. Get us out of the mud. Yep, yep, okay. yep. So in 1916, the federal highway system was started, but like paving roads turned out to be just one part of the problem. Um, street signage. So uh -huh. like now that people had cars, they were capable of long distance travel at fast speeds, but you didn't always know where you were going because if you didn't live in the town... You didn't know what the streets were called. So mm -hmm. you, you really couldn't get around oh, that Oh, man. See, when you said street signs, I was thinking of like stop and, you know, yield and stuff. I wasn't even thinking I about mean, like labeling streets. Both of those things. Yeah. All of those things. And, of course, you might get the town signage. You know, I always think about that. Um, is it in MASH where they have that long post that's like Hawaii, so many oh, miles I know that about, way. Yeah. I, you see Paris, it mocked at so a lot many, of like yeah. kitschy restaurants and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and that is what comes to mind when I think about street signage like that. Um, also, with the advent of cars and paved roads, I talked about the clearing of space, the idea of of the emptiness. Being what makes a road a road, you uh -huh. know, it, it also makes it fun to play in. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, me and me and the other kids would play stick ball and stick puck and stick hoop and stick blade. Yeah. Stick blade was a dangerous one. Yeah. Don't, sounds like it. Don't listen. Kids today, don't play stick blade. I lost a lot of good friends. I lost Pete <laughs> and Big Pete medium peat all at the same time it was one horrible peat massacre so children often played in these newly paved streets ball games and such mm -hmm. like this um and at first it really wasn't a big problem because there were so few cars on the road um but by 1909 the Automobile Club of America recorded that there were 200,000 motorized vehicles in the United States. Wow. And that's just the ones that the Automobile Club of, of America recorded, yeah. right? So let's probably double that number. Um, and so they had a hard time trying to communicate the idea of speed um, and how speed complicates driving because, you know, there weren't like driver's tests. A lot of the people who were driving cars, you know, self-experimented to get them to go to do the things that they wanted to do or that's terrifying or they were given, you know, just start up and turn off instructions by the people who sold them the car. Here's how you turn it on. Here's how you move the wheels. Here's how you make it go. And here's oh, how you make boy. it stop. Right. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, 
So not only were accidents very common, these automobiles were new, they were loud, they scared horses that Mm. were also on the road, um, and they often didn't understand how to take corners at the at the speeds they were going so more often than, it. <laughs> more often than not these cars completely flipped over they called it turned turtle turned turtle mm-hmm. what a cutesy name for a dangerous act so oh, did you hear about doug he turned turtle oh how cute he's dead <laughs> he is he is also quite dead so he is both a turtle and dead ah bummer i like doug um that same year, 1909, the Georgia Court of Appeals was was busy trying to handle this idea of the legal ramifications of things such as speeding, mm-hmm. um, what a street could be and could not be used for, the rights of pedestrians and unprotected children in the streets. Um, and it was talked about, are, is the automobile the new evil? Yes. Right. Next question. <laughs> Who needs it? That's what I say. Give me a velocipede. Uh, what? I think it's a bike. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, to make matters even worse and more complicated, streetcars, which had, which were, you know, started out mostly in the early Victorian era, mm-hmm. um, ran up and down the middle of the streets usually. Um, and they were becoming a very dangerous place for pedestrians to disembark and get on, right? Oh, right, right, right. Um, because all of this these, this new traffic, fast-going traffic, would just plow right through a pedestrian who stepped off a streetcar. Oh, goodness. It, this whole thing just, just really... Um, solidifies in my mind this idea of you know technology developing before the world has the coping mechanisms for that technology that's true of a lot i I would say a lot of technology like this happens with computers right of like computers were invented and developed and mass produced and sold Mm -hmm. and now we're trying to figure out how to use them responsibly like exactly you know you start to limit and like Whoa! I didn't realize this thing could do all this stuff, huh? We pro- it's it's that Ian Malcolm of you're so busy thinking about if you could, and stop to think about if you should. <laughs> it's that kind of deal. So in 1911, uh, Detroit, the Motor City, leads the way uh, as the first city to successfully experiment with one lane streets. So. Um, not only did they do the one lane street, they also did the uh, center lane highway, right? So you have that amount of time, amount of space in between the two cars, not just like driving right next to each other. Oh boy. Now here's the thing. I, when we went on our honeymoon to Scotland, Scotland has many, many wonderful things that I loved so much. One of them was uh, stall doors on the bathroom that went mm-hmm. floor to ceiling and had little things on the side so that when you closed the door, you were just in your own closet. And I loved it. And no one, you didn't have to see other people walking by. There was no fear of like, hey, what's going on in there? But what they did not have, at least where we were, was any kind of divider in the highway. So mm-hmm. people were just like going like 60, 70 miles an hour, side by side, going opposite directions. It's terrifying. Yes. Um, 
So let's talk about the idea of litigation. Of well, let's. But first, how about a thank you note for our sponsors? Schmanners is sponsored this week by Quip. I don't know why I said it like that, but I enjoyed that. Quip. Here's the thing. We love Quip. There's a Quip household now. That's right. I I took my toothbrush with me on the road. I love yes. it. It's here's the thing about Quip, right? I uh listen, I've had some dental issues before. I'm sure I've talked about them on the show. And I've had multiple dentists say to me over and over again, you should use an electric toothbrush. It's better at cleaning. It's better for you. But I never liked them because they were still bulky. And I never, like, I was always so afraid of, like, the charge running out or how, what do I do when I have to travel? All that stuff. But Quip solves for all of that. It is, like, 1% bigger than a regular toothbrush. You don't have to worry about charging it. Every, like, three months, they send you a new brush head, and you switch out the battery, and boom, you're done. Then you don't have to worry about it again. I'm a huge fan of them. They're sleek, excellently designed, and it also is, even though it's a great vibration, it's a gentle vibration, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like it's going to, like, shake your teeth loose or anything. Rattle your brains. (laughs) And they come in a, like, already in a travel case, so you don't even need to worry about that. And they have new brush head for kids. Um, it's the it's the same as the original version, just like tweak down. Um, and they have a timing mechanism. All Quip toothbrushes have. I want to get one of those for BB. I think she'd yeah, like I it. Think she's she would dig it too. she's deep into toothbrushing at the moment. Yes. Um, they're like I said, they're uh, they send you new brush heads on a scheduled three months for just five dollars, which is a great price for basically a new toothbrush. Uh, and that timing function, by the way. It has revolutionized the way that I brush teeth because I've always thought, like, I am definitely brushing long enough. And when I started using that timing function, I realized, like, I was not. Um, And it's one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. With over one million happy, healthy mouths that love Quip, why are you waiting? Go now. Uh, they It starts at just $25 if you go to getquip.com slash manners. You'll get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash schmanners. Go check it out and get quip. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or a Medi- medication. medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear yeah, from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice. hello listeners of maximum fun i want to tell you about our newest podcast that tells you all about the truth of the flat earth have you been looking out over the horizon and you've been thinking wait a minute This doesn't look round. I've been lied to my whole life. What is NASA doing with $52 million Million a a day? day? Uh, uh, come on. We explode the myths. 
Just kidding. We're Oh No, Ross and Carrie, and we investigate extraordinary claims. That's right. We investigate extraordinary claims firsthand. We go undercover in fringe groups. We get alternative medicine treatments. And we hang out with people who have unusual beliefs, like flat earthers, 9-11 truthers. We do ghost investigations. We've joined Scientology, and we got baptized in the Mormon church. If it goes bump in the night then so do we. <laughs> hmm. Why don't you check out Ono, Ross, and Carrie at MaximumFun.org? So let's do a quick recap of the things that we should have had for cars before we put them on the road. Speed limits. Okay, yeah. Guardrails. Yeah. <laughs> Curbs. These were the things that, Sidewalks. that didn't exist yet in the early decades of the 20th century. Stop signs, uh huh. Warning signs, okay. Traffic lights, mm. traffic cops, okay. Drivers ed, Ooh. lane lines, Ooh. street lighting, oh boy, brake lights, oh no. Drivers licenses, oh goodness, or posted speed limits. Oh, oh, oh boy, easy. Also, drinking and driving was considered whatevs. Oh no, <laughs> all that was wow, all bad, all that's bad, all that's bad, all that's bad. Um, leading the way though. Um, was Detroit. The Motor City. The Motor City. Maybe we should have saved this for Detroit. Do eh. we go to Detroit? Maybe not. Uh, who knows? Eventually. We've been there before. That's where the uh, infamous My Brother, My Brother and Me Star Wars show was. Ah, so I think right. we owe them a makeup sometime. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, Detroit was the first, among the first second only to New York City, to have a dedicated police squad for traffic control. They also started using a tennis court line painting device to mark things like pedestrian zones. Okay. And parking spaces, which yeah. I should have included on the list of things that we didn't have yet. Yeah. People, listen, I saw some pictures, people just leaving their cars in the street. They just If they wanted to go into a shop or go to work... There's no parking. People just... Just stopped the car and got out? Stopped the car got out. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I... Wow. Wow. Here's here's something also interesting about Detroit. The first ones to use stoplights, but not really the way that we think of them. So the stoplight that was first erected in Detroit was electric, but it needed someone to continually switch... The colors of the lights. Mm. So there was like a pole, right, with the light on it, and above it was like a crow's nest. I imagine cup and ball. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I can picture that. Um, with a police officer standing in the crow's nest all day, all night. I guess. Who do you have to frustrate to get that <laughs> job? Who would manually, manually, excuse me, switch the lights from red to green? There was no yellow. But the only warning that they would give that they were switching the lights was a police whistle. Okay, so not the most efficient no. system. Although, no. once again, I think this was either in London or this was in Scotland. Uh, and maybe the rest of England, too. I just haven't been outside London. Um, that there was... So, here in the U.S., we have the green light and then a yellow light when it's about to turn red, right? And then the mm-hmm. red light. And I have seen other places, I don't know where, that then there is another light like it's about to turn green. And mm, love that. So it's like, <laughs> hey, everybody, be ready to go, please. It's about to turn green. I like that. I wish we had that. 
Okay, so seven years after our last Automobile Club of America records, uh-huh. we're in 1916 and 2.25 million motorized vehicles That's are a lot. in the U.S. It's a lot. That is astounding to me. Mm-hmm. What is that? How many percentage increase from 200,000? It's, uh, well, it's 10 times. I mean, or yeah. 11 times. 11 times. Yeah. So, 1,100%. And here's the thing. Now it's really getting to be a problem. There are more cars on the road, more people um, who are uneducated about driving, driving on the road. Um, And during the 1920s, 60% of automobile fatalities nationwide were children under nine. Oh, bummer. Hey, sorry, everybody. Hey, that's a bummer. Oh. And the reason that was blamed for a lot of these these accidents was excessive speeding. Yeah. Um, some places even put the pace as low as five miles an hour to try and prevent a lot of these fatalities. Um, but here's the thing. A lot of these cars stalled out yeah. at five miles an hour. So people were not going five miles an hour. And also, I was thinking how, unless... Okay. Nowadays we have speed guns, right? Uh-huh. So it How did you track 5 do, miles an hour? How do you track someone? I mean, I guess if you did so if you timed someone from point A to point B, you could figure out how fast they were going. But Nobody you have did that. But yeah, I mean, you'd have to have like a ready set go and you'd have to like have the measured out distance and the math involved is, does not make it so that it's fast. It <laughs> you seems, know, it seems probably much more like, "Hey, you looked like you were going six miles an hour." Were yeah, you? be honest. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing: they didn't they didn't really know what to do about this. Um, so. A lot of things happened as far as like derogatory names emerged for road for bad drivers. Okay. Um, inconsiderate drivers were dubbed flip fliver boobs. Excuse me? Fliver boobs. Fliver boobs. Okay. Um hit and run was coined during this time period. Another bummer. Joy riders mm. was coined during this time period. People who stole these cars that people just left in the streets. Yeah. Uh, road hogs, speed maniac, Sunday drivers. All of these things now, began appearing in those, print. All of those I've heard, except for Fliver Boob. How did Joy Rider continue? It was fine. Okay, mm-hmm. I get it. But not Fliver Boob. Ugh. Yeah. And remember how I mentioned that um, cars often plowed through groups of people getting on and off the uh, streetcar? Uh-huh. Those people were called juggernauts. Oh, okay, listen. A terrible act. Super cool name. Yeah. Um, so this is when they started having public awareness campaigns about driving and about the dangers and about, you know, watch out for kids type thing. Um, yeah, that's a hey, good rule. Yeah. Watch out for kids. 
Um, so held in Washington, D.C. and New York City and all of these large cities around uh, where there were bunches of cars, they had safety parades. All right. Uh, which were, I mean, usually more scare and guilt tactics, things like children get dressed as ghosts. Ooh, okay. And, hey, listen, you know, if it works. Uh, and rows and rows of grieving young mothers. <gasps> Ooh, okay. Yeah. Um, so let's, it's definitely a powerful statement, these safety parades. But there really didn't start to be any kind of like what do I want to say uh, constructive like preventative uh-huh. I mean it was all like bad stuff happens when you go fast in a car Yeah, but it wasn't like hey let's all agree to go 25 miles an hour. It seems like there was a lot more uh, kind of negative rather than like positive like let's all be cool. huh? Right. Right. Until <gasps> Herbert Hoover formed the U.S. Secretary of Commerce. Okay. So this is when uh, they finally got automobile manufacturers to improve reliability and adopt safety measures. Things like turn signals. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Brake lights. Uh Headlights. Whoa. There weren't headlights? Not on all cars. It wasn't required. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, And then this is when the states even started to require drivers to take tests and be licensed. A a good call, I think. So much so, by the 1930s, driver's ed was now required in order to to drive your car. Here's, Here's one of the things, though, that didn't get sorted out until later. The idea that a driver was licensed or that a car was licensed. Uh Uh-huh got kind of fuzzy between states. Some places had one or the other, and some places had both. Like, one, wait, so you could get a car license and then anyone could drive it? Yeah. Huh. So the car had the license plate, right? Right, yeah. Showing that it was registered. But registered to whom? Huh. This is, okay. Hey, if you're listening to this, Check back in with me. In L.A., or maybe all of California, but I, I know for sure in Los Angeles, you have to get your car inspected for, like, smog. You mm-hmm. get a smog check, right? Right. I remember when I was growing up in West Virginia, in Huntington, I was of the impression that your car had to be inspected that, like, and maybe I remember doing this, that, like, the windshield wipers worked, that the headlights, like, that you had to get it that it had to work properly and be in good condition to get it registered so you could keep driving it. And I can't remember the last time. I. This is one of those things, Have I don't know if this is a Mandela effect thing. I feel like I remember doing that in West Virginia and never again. I think that I've heard of that in as far as like <clears throat> if you buy a used car for insurance purposes, you often have to have it checked out. At but like see, a body like, shop I or remember something. going to the DMV and mm. someone coming out and like checking the VIN number on my car and like checking the condition of it. Well, they did that for me when I took my driver's test. They made sure that the car was in working order then. Hmm. But it wasn't for registration. I'm saying I think that we should bring that back. Okay. If not. Because that's the thing is like, oh, you're a great driver. Cool. 
But like your turn signal doesn't work and your windshield wipers don't work and like you're like I'm okay. just saying maybe we should bring back inspections. Inspections. I feel like I had inspections to In- inspections. <sighs> well, so 1934 is when General Motors completed their first crash test of one of their vehicles to test for safety. Let's think about that. The car was invented in 1908. And it's 1934, and they're just figuring out, hmm, maybe we should see if these are safe. Mm. They were bad at it, though, okay. uh, for a long time. We'll get back to that later. <clears throat> okay. Let's move on to the 1950s. Okay. I've heard of them, yes. Yeah. Um, this is when... Scientists finally convinced car manufacturers that things like seatbelts and padded dashboards and this and is a big thing safety glass. This is a big thing with Ralph Nader, right? Where Ralph Nader uh, was like pushing for seatbelts, and there were like car manufacturers who attempted to discredit him and like with like sl- slander and like trying to get, I believe. Um, uh, let's say sex workers uh, to like try to solicit him to blackmail him or whatever to get him to quit pushing for seatbelts. There's a whole drunk history uh, thing about it. Anyways, oh. Ralph Nader. Um, and then in 1959, that was the invention of the three-point seatbelt as we know it today. So that is the um, the top of the shoulder belt is one point. The uh, fixation point of the lap belt is the second point. And then as you cross it over your body to click it into the buckle is the third point. Um, Yeah, Ralph Nader wrote a book, I believe in 1966, titled Unsafe at Any Speed, uh, that it prompted the passage of seatbelt laws in 49 states, all but New Hampshire, um, and a lot of other things. So... If you appreciate the fact that there are seatbelts in your car, thank Ralph Nader. What's the the date on that? What the seatbelt? Uh, 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 well, his book, I believe, was published. Let me see. Uh, it was published in 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a book accusing car manufacturers of resistance to the introduction of safety features such as seatbelts and the general reluctance to spend money on improving money on improving safety. Um. And then it it had a bigger impact in 1966, I believe. Uh, 1998 is when the federal government started their Buckle Up campaign. Okay. Uh, to drive home the fact that these safety belts, these seat belts, were in the car. For a reason. For the reason. <laughs> for a reason. And uh, that it was... There were, um, let me think, there were punitive consequences should you be without. Click it or your... ticket. Yeah. Click it or ticket. Or uh, my one of my favorite little throwaway things in uh, Bob's Burgers. Buckle it up. Buckle, buckle it up. Buckle, buckle it up or, or you'll die. die. <laughs> okay. So, quick recap. 1908 Uh is when Model T Ford came off the assembly line. Yes. 1998 is when we were like, we've got this car thing down. Yeah. Okay. 
almost a century. Yeah. And we're and you know what? I would argue still figuring it out. Still figuring it out with like uh, you know, what is are they saying that like automo auto-driven cars? Uh, self-driving cars. Self-driving cars. Self-driving cars. Wow. Right? And you know, here's the thing. What was that movie with Will Smith and he had the car? Oh, you're talking it. about uh iRobot. Yeah. Um I will say this is my tiny soapbox. Let me hop up on this tiny soapbox. Um, we talked about on trends like these. We did a lot of coverage on self-driving cars because there was like uh, the first like self-driving car accident. And the thing was, is it was not, if I remember correctly, caused by the self-driving car. And the thing is, is I think people are very afraid of the self-driving car because they feel like they will be giving up control. But the fact of the matter is, is like, if you look back through all of the human history coupled with car history when that began, as we're describing, humans are bad at cars. <laughs> They're bad at I, it. I think that I have uh, demonstrated through my 100-year timeline that indeed they are. <laughs> I very much look forward to when we have perfected self-driving cars. I think that it will be a lot safer and uh, it'll be just be a lot uh, easier to take a nap in a car. <laughs> Those two things. <laughs> Uh, so I think that's going to do it for us. That's yes. Just some... Thank you, Indianapolis. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming out. Oh. <laughs> um, let's see. What else? Uh, speaking of live shows, book two of the Adventure Zone graphic novel, uh, Murder on the Rockport Limited, is coming out uh, mid-July, I believe July 16th or 17th. Uh, and to celebrate it, we are doing a book tour. Uh, Justin and Griffin are going to be in New York City on July 16th and then in Austin, Texas on July 17th. Uh, and Carrie Peach will also be at that New York show. Uh, and then Dad and I are going to Portland on July 16th and Los Angeles on July 17th. And then all five of us will be back together in San Diego for San Diego Comic-Con on July 19th. Uh, you can get tickets for that at uh, family and click on tours and the price of that ticket includes a signed copy of the book uh, and if you're not able to make it to those shows you can go to uh, theadventurezonecomic.com and pre-order book two and we hope that you do it's really good you're gonna like it uh, we also have some other non-book show uh, live shows coming up oh and at those book shows I should say we're going to be doing uh, live readings of scenes with the Ooh. art projected behind us yeah and we've got some incredibly special guests uh that are gonna help us read those and you're gonna be really excited about them um but like i said there's other non uh book tour shows available there too mcroy dot family click on tours uh you can also go to mcroymerch.com uh, and we try to put up new merch all the time so if you haven't checked in in a while go check it uh and make sure you check out maximumfun.org uh home to shamanders as well as a bunch of other amazing podcasts what else teresa we always thank Brent Brentelfloss Black for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are sold. Also, thank you to Kayla and Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. You can tweet at us, and uh, when we put the call out for questions for episodes, that's where we do it at Schmanner's Cast. Um, also, thank you to Keely Weiss Photography. She took the uh, picture that is the cover banner for our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. And we encourage you to join that if you like giving and getting excellent advice from other fans. Um, also, we are taking topic submissions. Please email us at Schmanners. No, at Schmanners, <laughs> Schmannerscast at gmail.com. Ah, there it is. Schmannerscast at gmail.com. 
Lastly, um, I would like to thank Paul Saborin. Thank you for stepping in at the last minute and uh, helping out when I was unable to perform in Indianapolis. You're, you're a gem, Paul. Uh, and that's going to do it for us. So join us again next week. No RSVP required. You're, you've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.